I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to this Week 12 edition of Rams All Access. It's a special one for so many reasons. Yes, the holiday, a short week, and the San Francisco 49ers come to Inglewood for a showdown at SoFi Stadium for the very first time. Here with DeMarco Farr, I'm JB Long, wishing you a a safe and enjoyable holiday. And the Rams go for a third consecutive win coming out of the bye. DeMarco, how did Monday Night Football and a win over the Buccaneers reshape your thinking for the closing stretch well first i love turkey i do i just have to tell you that i love turkey i love thanksgiving i love thanksgiving food brine deep fried smoked either way i i love fried turkey i wish we could do that more but i mean my favorite turkey is more Mm. you know Mm -hmm. are you stuffing or dressing we got to get this out of the way you know, I've actually come around to both. Okay. I, I grew up dressing. Like, it had to be inside the bird for it to be quality stuff. Yeah. However, I have had in recent years, even this month already, don't tell, um, some stuffing, like some legitimate stuffing made outside the bird, baked in the oven. Pretty good. Not bad. I'm not turning it away, Are put you, it that way. Do you mix the cranberry with your, your, your stuffing dressing and... and... One one spoonful with the turkey? Yeah, uh, cranberry and gravy can go anywhere they like. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. Agreed? Are we Absolutely. Con- okay, yes. good. All right. It's, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. We I'm may disagree like- on certain football element things, yes. but it's good to start from, oh, a, from a common place. Just love it. Now, what was that question again? Uh, something about beating the Buccaneers. Oh, beating the Bucs. Uh, huge, man. I mean, that was absolutely uh, just... A great game. And this is funny. And, you know, when we talk to Sean McVay, when we do the coaches show, you can tell he's disappointed. He wants to score 35 points a game. This is professional football. Sometimes you don't get out of the 20s. As long as you win, that's the main thing. The main thing is the main thing. So uh, when you listen to people talk about the Rams, more specifically talk about Jared Goff and the Rams, um, they make it seem like the Rams aren't as good as their record. Um, Scoring 35 points would make it easier on the Rams to win. I never thought. I, I think the Rams have earned all seven wins, and I think they've earned all three losses, if that makes sense to yeah. you. Yeah, so I think they are exactly what the record says they are. But this was big. This was Tampa. This was the team that's going to be in it at the end. Uh, you, you had them on Monday night. You went down there. It's Tom Brady. He's the guy that's kind of had your number for years. Uh, there was a lot going into that game, and you came away with a victory. I mean, that that was huge. That was a playoff game smack dab in the middle of the season, and you won it. I hope this doesn't offend you, but there's a different feeling when you win a game with your defense on the field. Okay, explain. It, it leaves a different taste in your mouth. I, I, just As a fan, I think it's different putting up 30, 35, 40, certainly winning going away, but even winning with a game winning touchdown drive yeah. leaves a different taste than running it on third and long, go-ahead field goal, and with, you know, on the other side of the two-minute warning, giving Brady a chance and daring him. Now, I think that was awesome. Right. It, knowing the identity of this team, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that per se. It was a calculated gamble, and it paid off. But I think that's part of why 7-3 and three is still unsatisfying. But again, just more context here. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If, 
there's only been one game with a perfect kicking game so far this season, right? They played 10 and they've missed at least one extra point or field goal in nine of them. And last week was yet another one. But I'm, my point in, is if Gay hits the 44-yarder, you're at 30. If they don't blow the strip sack on Brady in the end zone. Easy. Good field position. It's, yeah, e- yeah. it's either a safety or a scoop and a score right. or like a short field, hopefully a touchdown. And yes, I, I agree that there were three opportunities in that fourth quarter to go get the dagger, to go put it out of reach and to put Tampa Bay to sleep. And believe me, Sean McVay wants to do just that. But I'm okay with with an offense that hasn't maximized its potential in November yet. Fair, because it's still out there for you, yes? And they're moving the yeah. ball in a way that indicates they can and they will. And there were some good red zone looks, I thought, on Monday Night Football that were a positive step forward. Seeing Akers, seeing Van Jefferson. Look, I just... To be leading the West and to be the two seed right now without having scored on defense, without having scored on special teams, without having played to your capabilities on offense is not a bad place to be, all things considered. No doubt. Uh, some other teams, some other eras. Uh, and just follow me on this. If you score 23 points, I guarantee you, you had a block punt or a defensive touchdown to get to 20. You know what I mean? So you're scoring, and there's more like there's more to be – there's more production in this offense. We can both see it. If you get out of your own way, if, if Jared Goff doesn't have that oops moment, you know, and you keep possession and, and you stay with certain drives, that, and you're having success and moving the football – There'd be more points, but it's not like this team is lucky. It's not like this team has snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. I mean, more points would mean you win easier, but I think the games they won, they were the better football team going in, and they played like it. So it was close. Uh, Way back in the day, I think it was, oh my God, the Atlanta Falcons were really good, and they could only beat teams by four points. So they could beat the Saints by four points. They could beat a high school by four points. That was all they were, but all they did was win games that way. So if this is the construction of the team, is this the formula to get this team to 10 wins into the playoffs, meaning you run the ball on third down and you play defense, you use Johnny Hecker, you play field position. If that's the DNA of this football team, then I think Sean McVay is leaning into it. At least that's what I saw on Monday night. Can I just address the audience for a moment real quick? And I don't mean to, to lecture, this is not condescension whatsoever, but you can't have it both ways. And for three years, we've all really enjoyed some masterpieces from Sean McVay. But there have been moments where we've all said, why not play conservative? Why not, you know, minimize the risk here? Why not run it here? And, and look, they threw it 51 times on, on Monday. So it was not a conservative game plan, but it was a smart game plan. Great game plan. It, it was a very self-aware game plan. And there have been moments this year... Tampa Bay was one. I would go back to Dallas week one, certainly the way they played the fourth quarter against Seattle, where I think a fourth-year Sean McVay made different decisions than he would have in 2017, 18, or 19. And I think you can say that you can you can still question those decisions, I guess is what I'm saying, punting on fourth and short against Dallas, you know, right from okay. the jump in week one. But you can't ask him to be both things. You can't ask him to be going for the jugular at every single opportunity and also criticizing the fact that he's pedaled to the metal. The self-aware part, I'm interested. Meaning what? We are, this is what we are, this is what we're not. What didn't you see or what did you see? Because a lot of quick passing to the outside. Get the ball out of Jared Goff's hands fast. Yeah. On offense. And you've got a first-time starter at left tackle. I saw a lot of sprint roll right side. 
Smart. Smart uh, game plan. Yeah. yeah. And you spread the football around and made Tampa run all over God knows what to catch you. Uh, and those screens popped. Those receiver screens kept popping. So I know a lot of people were sick of those until they work. You know what I mean? So I, I think it has to do with execution and not play call sometime. But, you know, I, I don't think it's Sean McVay with the mojo. I think sometimes the, the play on the field doesn't match the call, if that makes any sense. Even when the defense has you. Like JPP on the screen. He's all over the screen. Hmm. Dirt it. You know? Look, see it before you throw it. Uh, and I think, what, uh, less than a quarter later, Tom Brady had the same situation and he dirted it immediately. You know what I mean? So it's just those little things that keep a game plan from being excellent. A very good game plan from being excellent. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's a mojo thing off the bench. I think it's an execution thing on the field. Look, you went into that game having no clue what you're going to have at place kicker being on your third place kicker in 11 weeks starting a new left tackle knowing you are going to have to go empty and face similar zero blitz schemes and structures to what gave you fits in miami and oh by the way you quickly found out that if you had any inclination to run the football whatsoever it was not going to happen on monday night it was going to be hard and yet you just beat a front runner in the NFC with not just one but multiple hands tied behind your back, given what I just described, and there was game control there. Well, it, well, it could have been more than a 27-24 win. Well, wait a minute, just just the note boom thing. He's been groomed and he's been ready to play. We just got lucky with Wit coming back. You know what I mean? This yeah. is, this is not a guy off the street or. You're throwing in a guy you just drafted this year at left tackle. He's not, but he's been repping left guard, and he's been on IR more than he's been taking snaps at left tackle for the better part of 2020. No, but we're talking about a starter, yeah, especially on the left side, so you're bumping out one more, and he's a tackle to boot. This is what he is. So he's been groomed for that spot. Were you impressed, by the way? Oh, my God. Uh, absolutely. Going nose-to-nose with JPP. JPP threw everything he could at him. I mean, the power rush. He tried to speed up the field. They tried to run some pressures by him. He picked those things up. I mean, he did a great job with his feet. He played exactly – Joseph Noteboom played exactly like you thought he would play at, at left tackle. You've seen it before in this offense. He's plenty athletic. He gets it. He understands it. Uh, Sean McVay, less need. They covet when they drafted him. They talked about – above the neck stuff. So he gets the offense, and he's physically capable of doing it. I think he's better suited for left tackle. So I was impressed by how well he played against some pretty good pass rushers, but I'm not surprised by it. Hmm. I think he's been ready to play for a while. It's just Andrew Whitworth decided to come back and play for another year. How how about 16 as we continue on Rams All-Access? Did he answer questions to the extent that San Francisco might not try him in the same way they might have? that New England and Bill Belichick might not try him the same way they were planning on based off of what he did, slicing and dicing, man coverage, press opportunities, even some zero blitzes against Tampa Bay. I'd still make him prove it. I mean, I think it's going to be game to game with Jared Goff. You know what I mean? So I'd, I would test him and see how he reacts, and if he's reacting well, then change your game plan. But I would still go into with the same mentality. We're going to attack him. Hmm. We're going to send pressure. We're going to see if we can rattle him in the pocket and make him make mistakes. And even in a victory, he made some mistakes. Uh, there were a lot of good throws where he beat the defense to the point with the football, especially those outside screens. Uh, there were some plays. We talked about the slant to Reynolds uh, where you got to have that. So it's – Either he's got to extend and make that play, or Jared's got to put it on him a little bit better. So, But still, defenses are going to challenge Jared Goff to get the ball out of his hand or make him hold it, to see if he can 
force him into a bad decision. That it seems to be the book on him this year. I just think the the downside, the risk of playing those coverage and those rush structures is that you can get torched behind it. And I think there's at least that fear, and, and conversely from McVeigh and Goff's standpoint, there's at least that salivation, that excitement that, hey, we're not on our heels with this anymore. You know, we, we've got the answer just like we thought we did in Miami. We just couldn't hit them. Now we've shown that we can, and if you want to bring it, we're ready. Bring the ruckus. Absolutely. Let's go. Well, I, I don't think, like, next week against the Niners, or this week against the 49ers, and going forward, you're not going to face a run defense like that. So the running game is going to help you out. Right. You know what I mean? So you'll have a chance to slam one of those three running backs That's why right. it, it wasn't a, a defense. trap yeah. game Monday night, yeah. but it was a perfect storm. I mean, that, that had the makings of one that was not favorable and could have gotten ugly in a parallel True. universe. Well, okay, no, to be honest, defense played great. Fuller gets two picks. There was pressure on Tom Brady. You knocked him around. But Tom Brady threw some really bad balls. He threw a few to you, so he helped you out. So they're not a finished product in Tampa, but they're good enough to beat anybody on any, any given Sunday. So, like you said, perfect storm, perfect plan, and you made just enough plays to stay ahead and beat Tampa in, uh, on Monday night. He's DeMarco Farr. I'm JB Long on this Thanksgiving edition of Rams All Access. Here's what we have on the menu. Coming up next, Greg Papa, my counterpart from San Francisco, the voice of the 49ers, will give us the latest at a very confusing time for that organization. Are they still contenders? Are they still going for the NFC West? They're hurt. Unfortunately, they're sick. What kind of roster will they bring to SoFi Stadium on Sunday? And then after that, Les Snead gives us the rundown on the rookie class coming off this, their best performance of the 2020 season, plus a look at the NFC West, how the Rams might win it, and do they really have a shot at the number one overall seed, overtaking the likes of New Orleans and Green Bay along the way. That's all in this Thanksgiving edition of Rams All Access. You're listening to 710 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We continue with this Thanksgiving edition of Rams All Access, a rivalry matchup at SoFi Stadium, the rematch with the San Francisco 49ers. And let's bring in their voice, Greg Pop, who's kind enough to join us on the holiday week and coming off a buy and you know I don't know about you but I always uh, am able to gain some glimmer of perspective from the week away from the uh, the NFL grind I know it's been a tough stretch for the 49ers with three straight double digit losses going into the buy as you take a step back and I know they're dealing with health issues on and away from the field what's kind of the high level view of where the 49ers are at the end of November Greg well, JB and DeMarco great to be with you as well uh, just ravaged by injuries obviously JB I mean just uh the second week of the year to lose uh, Nick Bosa and then literally two snaps later lose Solomon Thomas and both have him be carted off and Jimmy Garoppolo's initial ankle sprain happened in that game Quentin Williams simultaneously hit him to when his foot kind of planted on that uh, field turf at MetLife so the whole year I mean they, they take the team photo this year I don't know if it's going to be an x-ray a CAT scan or an MRI but it's going to be some kind of uh, imaging on injury and then the COVID situation, which everybody's experiencing, 
to some degree, uh, really impacted uh, the game against Green Bay. So you cited the three losses in a row. They were playing well. Uh, the best game by far the 49ers have played this year was the win over the Rams. Huh. That was a really solid performance, in particular the first half. They were just terrific, held out in the second half. And then the next first half in New England, they were probably more impressive, although New England had some issues with COVID and Cam in that game. And uh, and then the next game against Seattle, and it was not going great, and they were doubling gap blitz and Jimmy a lot in the center at the time. Aronis Grassu was having a problem picking it up. But then Jimmy gets hurt in that game, and this one's bad. And George Kittle gets hurt late in the game. So just so many injuries to overcome. Uh, the bye week came at a really good time. Last year, the 49ers had their bye week so early in the year after three games. So after 10, this team was uh, desperately in need of a stoppage. But the the weird part about it, they haven't been able to practice all week wow. because of Eric Armstead right after the last game against New Orleans uh, showed up on the COVID-19 list and a bunch of guys through contact tracing and Trent Williams actually has the virus, apparently. Uh, they haven't been able to open up the building. So wow. they just got back in the building this week. So hopefully they'll have enough practice time uh, in to make this a competitive game on Sunday. Well, hopefully not. I'm just saying. Uh, no, Pop, um, look, maybe I'm scarred by the logo, <laughs> you know, uh, going through it with the Niners and, you know, what that brings up to me. But uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong to be impressed by Kyle Shanahan's coaching this year. Consider what happened with Detroit. They've got Stafford, they've got a pretty good football team, and they absolutely get blanked by Carolina, by a guy that's been cut, what, 12 times or whatever? Yeah. So I see a 49ers group that's, like you said, it's been double-digit losses, but it, it's, it's been competitive for certain periods of the game. Am I wrong to be impressed by Kyle no, Shanahan? No, I, I think Kyle's done a fabulous job, DeMarco. I mean, it's always scheme versus talent, and I think it's both. You'd, you'd rather have great players executing a great game plan with a great design and thought process. But I, I think it's the Shanahan scheme that gets it done. And for a lot of those weeks, like the the remainder of the, the Jets game after Nick and Solomon and Jimmy and Mostert all went out and Coleman, they all got hurt in that game. They kept rolling. They rolled through the Giants. And the Giants have proved proven to be a pretty formidable team. Their one-loss record's not great, but they're, they're tough. And, uh, no, I think for a long stretch they were able to overcome it. But you want to have superb talent, and after a while, it just becomes a, a tremendous battle of attrition when you're on literally your fifth string running back for for segments of the game, and not having Garoppolo and not having Kittle and the big ones, Bosa, Demarco. You know what the pass rush did for this team last year? Uh, it was just uh, just overwhelming. Maybe the best game they had all year was that game at the Coliseum last year in October. Oh, yeah, I agree. When <laughs> he threw for like 78 yards. They were all over him. He couldn't breathe. And they stopped the third and ones, the fourth and ones. That D-line, what I called the gold rush last year, just dominated games. Uh, Kyle's able to scheme it up, and at times they look very impressive, like the New Orleans game with Nick Mullins at quarterback. They went right down the field, 13 plays, 75 yards, touchdown just a beautiful design but over a while there's so many snaps in pro football where you can scheme them for a while when you got to settle in and stand in and block some people like when trent williams missed the uh green bay game that got really leaky so yeah kyle's doing a great job and i think robert sala who was a top candidate to be a head coach this past year uh when he had that great all those first round draft picks on the d line 
I think it's even more so that the 49ers have been able to put together essentially a top five defense this year, minus arguably five of your best defensive <laughs> players. He's a do-it-all broadcaster, always has been in the Bay Area. Greg Papa is our guest, the voice of the San Francisco 49ers on an extended version of Four Down Territory here on Rams All Access, previewing Sunday at SoFi Stadium. Pop, do you think Nick Mullins is auditioning for anything? Like Besides the wins and the losses, what's he playing for at this stage of his career and this season? Well, J.B., his contract's up, so he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So, yes, these, these are incredibly important snaps for what he is. I, I still think he obviously has hopes of being a number one somewhere. I think the more realistic uh, spot for him would be a number two or a number three. Uh, but I think he's a solid guy. He, uh, he's so studious and so on top of everything, and it makes up for uh, you know, mediocre to below average by NFL quarterback standards ability. His arm is not state-of-the-art. His athleticism, uh, there's so many great twitchy quarterbacks in the league now. He doesn't rank with them. But he's a, he's a, a studious guy who will get you in and out of the right play, which is so important and underrated. But I think the bottom line is, the 49ers like him. They like C.J. Beathard as well. C.J. may play in this game as well. Uh, and then Jimmy's got a huge question mark for next year. Mm. But going into the offseason, Nick is a restricted free agent. So I doubt they would put a first-round tender on him. They may not even put a second-round tender. He was an undrafted player coming out of Southern Miss. If they put a first-round tender on him and they think he's a starter, then for uh, you know four or five million dollars, you have a starting quarterback in the NFL. More than likely, they're not going to do that. But if you did the second round tender, I think it's like three point two. So that's extremely uh, economical when you're looking at uh, a major rollback in the salary cap between this year and where it's going to be uh, next year, and where they thought it was going to be next year. So yes, these are very important snaps for Nick Mullins to prove that A, he's a quarterback in the NFL, he'd like to be a starter, but I think probably more more likely he's trying to prove he's just worthy of a 53-man roster spot as a backup or for those teams that carry three quarterbacks. You know, I, I always wonder when I watch him in particular, maybe even C.J. Beathard or just you know other backups, guys that are uh, Gardner Minshew, uh, I wonder what yeah. these guys would be in a bizarro world if you actually gave them 18 starts, like invested – time and money into them to develop them as a quarterback. I wonder if Nick Mullins could become a guy in the NFL. Well, he did start eight games. So the, the year, uh, a couple of years ago when Garoppolo got hurt, week three in Kansas City, Nick started eight games that year. Now, it wasn't the same roster. They weren't as good. But they got a lot of injuries this year. I think th- I think this team is better still than last that team hmm. in 2018. But still, to your point, he threw for over 2,200 yards. So if you, you know, it's eight games, easy math. You, you know, he throws for 4,000 yards. But the bottom line is, can you win with him? I think there are a lot of quarterbacks in this day and age when you're dropping back to pass so much that they can put up stats, but can you win? Uh, if, if you had the kind of running game the 49ers had last year, yes. If you had the kind of pass rush they had last year, yes. But a lot of quarterbacks could win with that team. So I hear you. And I think that's what they got to determine where Nick is at. I don't think they'll bring him back as a starter next year, DeMarco. But, again, I, I think he, uh, he's, he's auditioning not just for the 49er roster spot next year, but I think, I think the whole league, obviously, it's like a kind of a preseason for him. But these are much more important 
uh, regular season snaps. You're not up against vanilla August defenses. You're up against teams, in your case, trying to win the NFC West. Greg, we'll finish with a, a two-part question. I'm going to squeeze two big-picture concepts in for you before we let you go. And, and they would be, having been through this myself uh, a couple years back and answered a lot of these questions, what's your updated perspective on the Super Bowl hangover, especially for the losing team? And then I also would love to get your perspective on the NFC West. And if you're willing to kind of predict how this is all going to go down between Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Arizona, bunched as they are down yeah. the stretch, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, well, I, as far as the Super Bowl hangover, I don't really prescribe to that. I, I think there are different factors for every team. I mean, I grew up in Buffalo, so the Bills uh, went to four in a row. And you can point out, you know, maybe if Norwood hits the first one, they win that Super Bowl. They're not as hungry to come back for the next one. But they've gotten blown out of a couple of them, one against Washington and one against Dallas. They kept coming back. So I, I think that's that's uh, – it varies from each situation. Like when I was with the Raiders in 2002, we went to Super Bowl 37. The next year, Rich Gannon got hurt, and that was a big part of it. But but more so, that was an old team. That was a Rich Gannon, Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, Charlie Garner, Rod Woodson, a veteran, veteran team, Bill Romanowski. They got hurt because they were older players. This 49er team, I don't think they're suffering a hangover at all. I think they got hurt for a lot of reasons. No off-season at all as far as on-field OTAs, no uh, preseason games, a different training camp, the whole thing. We kind of knew based on the 2011 lockout that injuries would be up, soft tissue and even the more debilitating ones, ACLs, Achilles, all that. The 49ers have had them all. So it's been hard. So I don't I don't think that they're that they're suffering a hangover. In fact, I think they were really genuinely angry with the way last year ended as great of a year as they had they had a 20 to 10 lead against the kansas city chiefs in the super bowl in the fourth quarter with seven minutes and 13 seconds to go and let them off the hook on that third and 15 so i don't think that's it but what i would say is uh great perspective on when i look at the 49ers versus the rams even a year ago right after we went down there in october and beat you guys at the Coliseum and held Jared to like 78 yards passing. They made those flurry of trades on that Tuesday. And some were to get younger, some were to bring in Jalen Ramsey. And at the time, I'm looking at your roster, I'm looking at the salary cap situation, and I'm thinking the Rams are so far away from uh, where they were a year ago. And now look at you. Now I, your young talent, your defense is flying around the field. I didn't know Brandon Staley was, you know, compared to Wade Phillips and all that. So it, it just gives you a sense of perspective. 49ers have 41 free agents this offseason. they got to make a lot of hard calls in a tough economic climate. But you look at what Les Snead and Coach McVay were able to pull off, really impressive to kind of rebuild this thing with a youthful exuberance on the fly, really impressive. So I, I think that they're the most complete team in the NFC West. I, I thought Arizona would be better this year. I think Kyler's really a good player, but I, I, I'm hard on him because I saw him as Heisman here at Oklahoma. I called his first game of the year that year and became obsessed with him and watched every snap, and I think there's more to him. He needs to be more accurate with the ball, and I think the loss of Chandler Jones is going to be a hard one for them to overcome. But if I had to say right now, I think the Rams do win the NFC West, and but I think the other three teams in the division will make the playoffs this year, and the 49ers, we just got to get healthy again. That sounds like a setup, J.D. He's trying to soften <laughs> us up. I know you, Pop. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we appreciate you, you taking some time on your holiday week, and uh, it's always a disappointment that we can't uh, get together with the go. opposing broadcasters under the current circumstances, but we look forward to welcoming you to SoFi Stadium. I, I hope it's a trip that you look forward to for many years to come. Without question. Can't make it this year, but we'll be there eventually. And what am I doing on this day? I'm just watching a lot of football. So in between the games, I love talking football with you guys. So it could be better. Yes, that's sir. all we need on Thanksgiving is football. We're all good. Greg Papa, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. And we're back with more Rams All Access right after this on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to Rams All Access. A short week for the Rams as they turn their attention back to the NFC West. And after a game in which the rookie class really arrived, Monday Night Football in Tampa Bay, we were fortunate to have Les Snead as our guest on Tuesday night's Coach McVay show. Here are a few of his best answers on a couple of topics pressing for the Rams as they get set to pursue the division title and the number one overall seed in the NFC. But let's start with the general manager with a thought on the rookie class and how they performed against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They made uh, some crucial, uh, very uh, important plays at the right time on Monday Night Football. So and that, that's part of the the development process, right, the maturation process that you go through, uh, you know, the development that goes on. And, and then as, as, as the developing goes on, and, and a lot of, if you go back to Allen Iverson, right, and you go practice and practice doesn't mean anything and practice and it's monotonous and, and you get, you get kind of why that statement's been blown up and, and football practice can be monotonous. But that, that is where, especially when there's not a preseason, things like that is where actually trust in the players is is garnered and and earned. And and so in, in the let's call it a Van Jefferson situation, right, where hey, we're actually going to be in the red zone, and, and because of trust, we're going to we're going to design this play and actually make uh, him the the first read and, and and try to get a touchdown out of this series. So. Uh, I give I give the players credit. I give coaches credit. I give the uh, vets uh, that uh, you know are their teammates credit for doing their part and and helping develop these young men to you get know, to where they are now. Yeah, it's it's a credit to coaching, no doubt, but it's also imperative in today's NFL, today's NFL economy. When you start paying guys, that you have to develop your young guys. So. Your young guys paying dividends on Monday night, I think, is huge. But going back to that Van Jefferson touchdown, that that little juke quick slant, uh, we were talking, man. It's been a while since we've seen a goal line slant. Been a couple of years, and you know how many times do you think he's run that route in his lifetime, considering who his father is. You know what I mean? It looked like he's well, done yeah, that forever. Yeah, there's no doubt. Considering Sean and I, and I actually texted Sean the day Sean. Sean, I was, I happened to be. Uh, with the Falcons, and, and we signed Sean Jefferson from New England. So got to know him as a player and obviously somewhat being a peer in this league as, as he's become a coach. There's no doubt, had never asked, you know, when 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 he started teaching Van the route tree, but it, it I guarantee he could run the route tree before he could walk if you, if you know Sean. And, and if you know Sean, it was – 
it was probably at 5 a.m. and then came, come back. At, <laughs> there's probably three a days going on before he could walk. But I, interesting, one of our uh, uh, lieutenants, or one of my lieutenants, James Gladstone, had sent me some clips today. But he ran this same, let's call it, you know, route against LSU when he was at Florida. He did that uh, a few times against some of our really good vets in practice uh this training camp that maybe uh, the world didn't get to see, and then he, he did it again last night. So I sent that series of of clips to Sean and go, hey, uh, definitely a proud father in the house, and definitely want you to see that. But uh, going back to running that route against some really good corners at LSU, some really good corners uh, with the Rams, and and now last night against the Bucks. So pretty neat to see. Well, he's not a rookie, but he is a player you drafted with a role in mind. Speaking of Joe Noteboom, who steps in at left tackle for Andrew Whitworth, who's been a pillar for this era of Rams football. His first career start at left tackle in the National Football League, and now you've really got six full quarters of sample size against top-level competition going back to the second half against Seattle. How's he played so far? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this, and uh, we, we have this family tradition, and I'll, I'll admit I only do it if we, if we win. But the family tradition is sometime after the game, during the week, we'll watch the TV copy uh, together. But going back to last week when he stepped in for for Big Wit, right? He, all of a sudden, you didn't, you, no, no one really even discussed in the second half, right, that Wit was gone or that brought up no. Because usually, if you if you bring up a tackle's name, it's usually for something uh, negative. And I, I do remember Troy Aikman kind of mentioning somewhere in the fourth quarter. Well, how about that? Uh, you know, we hadn't mentioned Joe Newtboom all game, so that must mean he's doing well. And I, I think last night was the same. I think that's the when when you don't notice a tackle giving up uh, some significant pressure, or maybe getting a hold call or missing a, a crucial block on a on a, a you know a short yardage situation or something like that. That means uh, you're doing your job. That's the life of an offensive lineman. But uh, I give Big Wick credit again, along with Coach Chrome. They've been mentoring, developing this young man. He's played both guard and tackle. Uh, it's interesting. Last week, right? In, instead of playing guard, sometimes for you, it's it's more maybe beneficial for the we, the Rams, that you go into a, a game as as a backup third tackle, knowing you could play both tackles, right? Instead of starting at guard, just because if you do need that player, like we did last week, and we you know, will now for a few games just, hey, he's ready for that. He's preparing for that. He's practiced for that. And it's good to always it's, – it's a negative that Big Wit is down similar to last year. Uh, these players, uh, these young players get to uh, go get their feet wet. They get to make some mistakes. They get to learn from them, uh, apply some of those lessons, and, and then continue improving. You know, I actually thought you'd be – here anyway in 2020. I, I was surprised. I was happy when Witt came back. You always want great players. He's a great left tackle. Uh, he's a leader on this football team. So when he decided to play again, very happy. But I actually thought, I guess going into 2019, that 2020 would be the start of his left tackle career anyway. That's why I wasn't really surprised at how well he picked up the offense and how well he played within it. Talking about Joe Noteboom. No doubt, and again, it, we drafted, uh, you know, no because of that. Right, he did. He does have the traits uh, to be an offensive tackle. 
in our league, and, and, and we did know that, okay, at some point, you know, Big Witt's going to raise his hand and, and want to go to the, uh, you know, go play golf for a little while instead of this football thing. But I don't know if that's coming anytime soon if we know Big Witt, right? He might be the, the Tom Brady of, of offensive tackle. <laughs> but what I give, uh, I give Big a note credit is even coming into this year, right? No offseason. Uh, in terms of, let's call it strength training within our building, having that injury, injury last year. He came in in really good shape. He came in stronger than he was the previous year. He did that right without, let's call it NFL or normal NFL structure. And then we had Dave Edwards, I mean, coming back and Corbett, but because of, of, uh, Joe's play during the preseason, he earned a starting job at guard again because, I mean, easily could, the incumbents were coming back. But So you give Joe credit. Very unfortunately, again, had that injury. Uh, I know it was tough on him. And it was tough on him to come back and go, geez, I'm, I'm back to being the, the third tackle. But at, at the, the cliche is, and it's true, you can't let that affect your preparation because you're one snap away. And he was one snap away and, and has come in at one of the tougher positions in football. And, uh, you know, through, uh, let's call it a game and a half, uh, thumbs up for, for Big Joe and what he's helping us do. That was Les Snead, general manager of your Los Angeles Rams, earlier this week on the Coach McVay Show, back with DeMarco to close it out after this on 710 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Rams All Access. Happy Thanksgiving once again, everyone. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long. You know, no season's complete without a win over your rival, right? I mean, the Rams could win the division. They could go deep in the playoffs. They might go to the Super Bowl, but it wouldn't feel right if you got swept by the Niners two years running, would it? Again, I was thinking uh, you can't go a year without having sweet potato pie. See, I'm thinking Thanksgiving. Again. You're thinking food. I'm thinking 49ers. Uh, we're there. We're, it's close. But Same they're thing. two of my favorite topics. Same I'll thing. gladly trade with you. Absolutely. But yeah, look, um, going back to college and how you were trained to win and you always thought to win your conference – Go to the Rose Bowl if you're in the Pac-10, Big Ten, uh, and beat your rival. That's on there. You got to do it. Um, and college coaches are hired and fired based on sometimes their record against their rival, Michigan, Ohio State. So mm. San Francisco is the same with with the Rams. I mean, this goes back a long way. Now Seattle coming in, being great, being the third man in. Now there's new rivalries, so it's a little different. But yeah, man, you go in a calendar year, being a Ram, putting on that uniform. Going a calendar year without beating the 49ers is demoralizing. It really is. It just changes your entire offseason. Uh, makes you feel bad about yourself as an athlete. So, uh, yeah, you, you've got to beat them, number one. Number two, you've got to get back the L they gave you up there. Uh, you owe them something big. I mean, they really took it to you. That Think about the last play. Debo San, Samuels running through you for a first down to end the football game and how physical that was, right? You owe them. You got to line up, and I bet to a man, everybody that played that day said, I want to see you again one more time. Let's line up and do that again. So for the division, it's important to get the victory, but just from a pride standpoint, you got to go up there and or they got to come down here and you got to knock heads with them one more time. The other thing I forgot to ask you about off the top that I want to get to before we take a look at the West and the NFC playoff picture. Any offense taken to Tom Brady walking off the field at Raymond James without greeting Jared Goff post game? See, I remember I said that um, when Tom Brady got up and walked off. The next shot on TV was Jared Goff walking to the middle of the field, kind of looking. 
Well, I mean, Jared looks like Jared. He always looks like he's lost. You know what I mean? But he was just kind of walking. But, you know, Tom Brady... You know what he was doing, though. He was going out to shake his counterpart's hand. Absolutely. Like everybody does. And Tom Brady, the angle, he was headed towards uh, the the locker room. And let me take it one step beyond. That's the one thing I didn't like about Indomitian Sue. I loved the way he played, even the nasty stuff, the the stuff that was outside the rules. I get that. I like that. But the one thing that always drove me crazy was when the game was over, he was in the locker room. Mm. Go out there and shake hands, man. Be a sportsman. So, Money might have been the last time they're able to with the restrictions that the players are under now. Yeah. The, all the on-field protocols and you, everything else as this escalates, they may just prohibit that altogether. Right. But that's the second time in high-profile situations on national – broadcast Super Bowl? no well the two guys that that he's played in the super bowl recently Foles beat him in chicago on thursday night and it was a big deal then and he kind of gave uh, a lukewarm excuse the following day i haven't heard his comments yet as we record this version of rams all access i'm sure jared goff will take it in stride but he comes across as a sore loser well i don't know jared and tom's relationship maybe they text talk maybe they talk before the game and I apparently mean, he went out of his way brady did to go get in justin herbert's ear okay well or maybe there's something to him and jared who uh, it is what it is i mean but as sportsmen when the game is over there there are certain rules unwritten rules go out there and shake each other's hand hug we'll see you next time but you know i i think it was because of the super bowl because it was monday night jared goff finally got the victory over you the right thing to do was to go out there and shake his hand but I don't know what's going on inside of Tampa's locker room. I don't know what Tom was telling his team. I don't know how Arians coached them this week. Maybe it was all or nothing. So uh, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't hold that against Tom Brady. It, it looked bad, but it may not be as bad as we know. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. yeah. No judgments, but I just wanted to get your player thoughts yeah. on on what that. I've all only was. done it once, and it was against the 49ers. And it, it wasn't because they were dirty. It's because I was just so damn frustrated we couldn't beat them. Yeah, and I was I mean, embarrassed, and I just ran off the field. Look, you you know yourself better than anyone, and if um, the better of, of two evils is tucking your tail and going into the locker room and making sure that you don't do anything you're going to regret publicly yeah. in, in front of all those cameras, I get it. Well, tell me something. There's worse things. You watch ball. I, I, I think I like this about Manning if it's true. When you played Peyton Manning, if you beat him, he kept his helmet on and shook your hand and ran off the field. Like, I don't deserve to take my helmet off. If he won, he came out in a baseball cap. I like that. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of all the red foreheads I've seen <laughs> on Peyton Manning postgame. You know that imprint from his helmet? Yeah. And I'm thinking, do all of those equate to wins? Every time, every time I saw a red imprint, was that a W it for could. Peyton Manning? I thought that was his way of jumping the net, like tennis. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah, I keep my helmet on. You get to have the, your picture in the paper. I'll have my helmet on. Gotcha. So uh, there's certain things you, t- you should do, but I wouldn't hold it against Brady. Gotcha. All right, real quick on the playoff picture. Let's start with the West. Do you consider Seattle the primary competition at this point, or is it a true three-team race with Arizona in the mix, too? Okay, you tell me you watch film just like I do, and I always will consider Seattle the big threat because of Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and the history, right? Yeah. You saw Kyler Murray. That guy's a problem. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and he, so is DeAndre Hopkins. Absolutely, that that team, and I'm watching them on defense. Now you have answers for those two players in unique ways that maybe other teams around the NFL don't. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a problem, and we haven't played this version of Arizona yet, so I don't know what to make of them until they're in front. But I, yeah, Seattle's the main competition. It's Russell Wilson, man. I mean, 
This is the guy that can beat anybody on any, any given Sunday. You so know, to me, they're all, and if they get healthy, if they get their running backs back, Hyatt is back. If they get Carson back, they're a problem. They're a different offense with Hyatt in in the backfield right now. Yeah. Well, with respect to Arizona, the Cardinals have a tougher stretch, and and they're less stable. Like they're less likely to go on a rip and run the table than Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. You know, they're just a proven commodity there. And given the Seattle schedule, I think it's a real possibility that they do not lose again until they host the Rams down in December. Um, And that's where the win on Monday kind of gives you a mulligan, right? If you're even with the Seahawks now, even if you stub your toe between now and then and they don't, you can get them back by beating them in Seattle. Um, So that's what I like about the West right now as it stands. Will the Saints lose again is the next question. What's their? you have their schedule? Yeah, I do. And I think it's probable. I think they're – well, I mean, outside of the quarterback position, their defense is playing really well. Right. Yeah. So here's their schedule, and you tell me if you see one or two losses. Okay. Or, or none. At Denver. At win. Rematch this time at Atlanta, having just beaten the Falcons I'll, I'll with Taysom Hill. I'll say win. Atlanta Here, has their issues right now. Here's a super important one. You may not like the odds, but at Philadelphia, the third of three straight road games. Is Carson Wentz the starter? No, I mean, who knows? I, I, that's, I'll say win for New Orleans. Home to Minnesota. Dalvin Cook. Remember that a, playoff game yeah, last year? that's an issue. I don't know. And then at Carolina. How do you bet on Minnesota? How do you bet against Minnesota? What do you think of Minnesota? Dangerous. They, they just lost to Dalton and the Cowboys at home, but yeah, that and and Thielen's on COVID. Right. Uh, but so Denver, Atlanta, Philly, KC is the one I forgot. Minnesota, Carolina. Denver, Atlanta, loss. Philadelphia, KC, Minnesota, Carolina. I saw one. Do you loss. think one? What's more likely, zero or two? What's more likely? Yeah, they uh, run the table lo- or they take two losses. Two losses. Okay. Yeah, two losses is more likely than running the table. Here's why. That I, means you beat Kansas City, right? Did you say Casey? If you run, run the table, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So here's the um, the reason why I highlight that Philadelphia one because both the Saints and the Rams are seven and one in the NFC with four conference games remaining. The Rams finished with all NFC division games, right? You've got the rematch with San Francisco and Seattle and the two Arizona games. The Saints have Falcons, Philly, Minnesota, Carolina remaining. So when you get into the, some of those deep tiebreakers and it comes down to conference record. If you're assuming that you're tied, um, then you go beyond conference to common opponent if you get that deep, and Philadelphia is one of those common opponents. Right now, Tampa Bay, Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco are that group. I know there's a little bit of minutia here, but the Rams would have to win out in that group to have a chance at, at matching New Orleans in that regard for wow. that tiebreaker. So that's why I highlight the, the Philadelphia one, doubtful though that may be. Yeah, you're, you're depending on Philadelphia. No. <laughs> but the, the point is, in, in the West, you control your own yeah, destiny. I think the to West. To the extent that that expression is much true. Much tougher division than what New Orleans is going to have to go through with the South. But for the yeah. one seed, you need help. For the one seed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, who knows? I, I don't know what the quarterback position is going to be. You know, I mean, I, I thought. What did you think of Taysom Hill? Is that what I you're talking about? He played a little bit better. He played a little bit better than I thought he would, and they used him a little bit differently than I thought he would. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be long-term. Do you? I don't know what it's like to have 11 broken ribs. Well, Jameis, that's what I thought. Oh. Jameis came in. No, I think, that, I think that ship has sailed. You think so? Yeah, I think I think Sean Payton meant it when he said that this guy's the next coming of Steve Young. Whether or not he's correct, we'll see, but he's riding with Taysom Hill, I think. Wow. Didn't Ron Jaworski say that? Colin Kaepernick was going to be the greatest quarterback that ever lived. 
Yeah, you know, I mean... There's hot takes, and then there's scorching hot <laughs> takes. But look, Sean Payton backs it up. And here's the other thing. Yeah, he got a win with him, yeah. If if he had had to go to go to work with Jameis Winston, they would have had a darn good game plan, and their roster's plenty talented, and they're well-coached enough that they probably would have beat Atlanta with Jameis Winston, too. Yeah, I thought maybe he was going to bring Jameis Winston to Teddy Bridgewater land, you know, and, and rattle off a couple of wins. Uh, who knows? I mean... How about that, by yeah. the way? What? That... In a, in a stretch of a couple of years, you can lose a Hall of Fame quarterback twice for significant stretches of your season and not take a step back, maybe even take a step forward. At least hold your ground, if not put him in a better position when he comes back. Oh, God, I have no doubts. You know, it's it's funny. We, we give a lot of credit to Belichick because the guy's got six rings. But, I mean, you want to talk about coaching, look to New Orleans. I mean, that guy with... A bunch of moving parts has always been around the top and been a threat almost every year and seems to create new weapons out of nowhere, Hmm. things that no one thought about. If he can actually make this guy into a viable quarterback, a a guy that's a little bit better than Tim Tebow throwing the football, a little bit – come on now, you've seen him throw. See, we only talk about the good plays he makes. No one ever talks about the bad plays, and he makes a ton of bad plays too. You know he did well though? He got it in the hands of Michael Thomas. Okay, yeah. And that's that's winning right there. <laughs> right, For right. whatever reason, you know, their various injuries and their disconnect, Breeze hadn't been able to do that as efficiently as, as Taysom Hill did. But anyways, more, more Saints talk than we yeah. cared to. But look, that's the byproduct of the win that you had on Monday night. And when you beat the Buccaneers on the road, your fifth East Coast road trip of the season, and you get to 7-3, and three, you have the right to talk about some of these what ifs, which are fun to uh, mull over as you digest your second or it's third legit. helping. It's at, it's legit. You're there. Give yeah, me, you've earned it. Give me one quick key to beating the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, you know, watching them on tape, right? Okay, so like Papa said, it's a matter of talent. They're still getting running backs scot free to the corner. They're blocking stuff up well. They just don't have the speed they have with Mostert, and he's coming back. So. The key to stopping them is stopping the run. First and ten is everything. If if they're living on first and ten and getting the second and five, third and short, you don't have a prayer in stopping them. I don't care who they're heading it to or who's at quarterback. So first and ten defensively, you got to go nose to nose and you got to lock that down. It's got to be the complete opposite of what we saw the first time you played them. For DeMarco Farr, for our great producer, Mike Pearson, I'm JB Long, wishing you a safe and enjoyable Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you Sunday from SoFi Stadium, the Rams and the 49ers. Thanks for listening to Rams All Access on 710 ESPN.